At the G7 meeting earlier this year, we announced our intention to collectively mobilize $600 billion. Nigerians in Nigeria, how do we get access to that money? Nigeria could have an incredibly strong currency. They already have the largest economy in Africa. So let's talk about proxy wars. Sudan, how is it a proxy war? We're talking to entrepreneurs right now. Pay mm -hmm. your staff more, as much as you can, because when you pay your staff more, they can pay more people. And it's a trickle mm -hmm. effect. And when that happens, one entrepreneur is going to create jobs for 20 people. And those 20 people, to service them, they're going to probably take, make 100 jobs. So it's about bringing the entrepreneurs, the highest talent back. Welcome to Business in Nigeria, the podcast that equips you with the knowledge and tools you need to start and grow your business in Nigeria. If you're an entrepreneur, aspiring entrepreneur, or simply curious about the Nigerian business landscape, this podcast is for you. Our aim is to provide you with the inside scoop on the ins and outs, key details, and nitty gritty of doing business in Nigeria. Join us as we explore the challenges, opportunities, and best practices for navigating the Nigerian business landscape. Today we have Brad Roars, an economist and investment expert. He's going to talk to us about how to get access to some of the billions of dollars that Joe Biden has promised to Africa, how to navigate that, as well as understanding how geopolitics affects Nigeria, specifically issues around the U.S. dollar and the death of the dollar, um, China and Chinese investments, are they dead traps? We're going to be talking about how the U.S. navigates or controls the global economy and how that affects Nigeria. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss this episode. It's really important because you can be successful in Nigeria, but more importantly, you want Nigeria to be successful because it starts with having a successful and fruitful country. And in order to understand that, you have to understand the global landscape. So this episode is very, very important. I'm your host, Kenemo. You're watching Business in Nigeria. Let's get into the video. Brad, nice to have you on. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. So let's get into the meat of this uh, business in Nigeria. You know, before we even start, let us know who you are, how you have an interest in Africa. Mm -hmm. Just talk to me. Tell me who you are. Yep. Uh, my name is Brad Roars. I am an analyst. We do uh, investments in West Africa, specifically Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana. I also have a real estate company here in the Washington, D.C. area and a mortgage company. And so we're looking to take... Uh, a lot of what we do here that we feel is very successful uh, stateside and kind of bring that over to Cote d'Ivoire and to Ghana. Okay. And so this on this podcast, look, we're not really going to focus on those other, you know, West African countries. Mm -hmm. I really want to know about Nigeria and specifically, you know, the African Leader Summit happened at the end of last year. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, there were all these promises from the White House I'm announcing a new initiative, working with Congress to invest $350 billion to facilitate more than almost a half a billion dollars in financing to make sure people across Africa can participate in a digital economy. At the G7 meeting earlier this year, we announced our intention to collectively mobilize $600 billion. You know, as to, you know, how much they were going to invest in Africa, I think one, one of the numbers was uh, I think the G8, we're, we're looking at $600 billion. But Biden had announced billions and billions and billions of dollars. Now, how do we, if people are watching this, uh, probably Nigerians in Nigeria, 
How do we get access to that money? This information is exclusive and it's only available on our course, Business in Nigeria. Um, very, very rich with all the information that you need to know about, you know, how to get access to this U to these U.S. loans, where to apply, um, a great breakdown of everything that you need to know um, to get access to the, these loans, because that's also difficult. You might know where to apply for the loans, but you also want to know how to get at, how to actually win these loans, and all of that information is in this course in the course you're going to get some inside details we have a lot of documentaries on the course that break down you know the nigerian landscape so maybe you, you maybe you want to understand a specific industry in nigeria and how it works and of course we're always growing we're always putting more and more information so i love to get more comments from you guys leave a comment down below let us know who you want us to interview what you want us to cover especially even in the course what uh subject matters what businesses do you want us to cover let us know this is an interactive show and i want to make sure i provide you guys with all your needs that you know is plausible <laughs> so leave a comment down below tell me what you want so that i can provide it the best way that i'm able to check it out at streamovg.com business in nigeria go check that out all right don't worry he's gonna answer the rest of the questions in this interview so how does a country go about fixing or repairing their currency? And what hope do Nigerians have that this is even a possibility? There was a story today that was posted by Ruben Abati um, on his blog. He's a host on Arise News, one of the biggest publications, or sorry, the biggest, actually the biggest uh, news network in Nigeria. And um, let me just read it. The bots again. Um, <laughs> So the World Bank offers Nigeria Forex rate advice as Tinumbu eyes 200, uh, sorry, $200 rate, 200 Naira dollar rate. Okay. The World Bank has uh, recommended a single Forex exchange, Forex or foreign exchange Forex market, urging Nigeria to go away with its multiple Forex markets in its latest uh, macro poverty outlook of Nigeria, April 2023, the World Bank said unification of the forex markets should be one of the reforms to strengthen the recovery of the country's um, economy. According to the global financial institution, the forex exchange reform will restore microeconomic stability, which the bank said has weakened due to exchange rates distortion. Long story short, um, and yeah, you can tell me what all this means because some of it is like <laughs> not a problem. Way over my head. But long story short, is it has this ever been done before? Has a country ever like repaired their their currency that drastically? Oh yes, yeah. Um, currency repairs happened. I mean, Argentina for a time before they lost control of their currency. Recently, they did repair their currency for a brief period of time. How? Uh, how? What, what? What are the numbers? Of what, what? What kind of numbers are we talking percentage-wise? Uh, they were dealing with inflation that's beyond what most African countries have experienced. So they were, they were talking about daily inflation rates instead of annual inflation rates at the peak of what uh, Argentina was going through. Was it similar to, to Venezuela? Like was like is that it was what similar we're to Venezuela? About? Similar to what you've heard from Zimbabwe. So I know the inflation has been particularly nasty to um, Nigeria, but it hasn't been to the level of currency destruction, which you've seen in other countries. Or even like the Weimar uh, government, right? Oh, we're really going back there. If we're going back to the, <laughs> uh, the 1920s um, in Germany, 
that was um that was actually for uh, I believe for the National Socialists one of their big claims to getting support was the uh, inflationary uh, policies right. had hurt so many of the people there. So how does a country go about fixing or repairing their currency? And what hope do Nigerians have that this is even a possibility? Because almost mm -hmm. this is a full rep uh, repairing, taking us back to almost back to the same numbers as before uh, Buhari came into office. So it's once money has been printed, once, they, once they've expanded the money supply, it's very hard to get the cat back into the bag. It's but but they did change the naira. They did change um, the naira, the currency. They they're avoiding all the old notes, mm -hmm. and they're they've, they've established new notes. Mm -hmm. So and um, they're saying by by the end of this year, sorry, yeah, by the end of this year, all old notes will, will be will be rendered um, obsolete. So will mm -hmm. that help? Uh, it's certainly going to bring. It's certainly going to bring a little bit more predictability to the to the currency market. What has been unfair to the regular people in Nigeria has been, as the money supply was expanded by printing money, um, not a lot of the benefit of that monetary expansion went to the regular workers. A lot of that went to support the financial institutions. And that meant that the regular people were dealing with uh, extremely high prices. Uh, it's really eviscerated savings rates for many Nigerians, which has hurt which has a secondary effect of hurting a lot of the businesses that relied on a stronger Nigerian middle class. So that has been very devastating to them. However, what's done is done. And if we're talking about just repairing the currency right now, the first thing that the um, government will need to do is strongly signal that the inflationary policies are not going to continue in the future so that people are not speculating against the Nigerian currency. And then they just simply have to slowly ease down um, ease down interest rates and then they have to slowly ease down the creation of new money uh, that's difficult for governments to do because printing money is a very easy way to make up for budgetary gaps it's an easy way to invest in larger projects but in order to have a stable economy the go upcoming government is going to have to resist the temptation to do that if they do so and the market believes that they're going to continue to do so I think that Nigeria could have an incredibly strong currency. They already have the largest economy in Africa. Uh, they're right, just right ahead of Egypt right now. And I feel that with their, their talent and their workforce, with their access to natural resources, I feel that if they just control monetary policy, you're going to see a very quick recovery in Nigeria. And I think you'll see very quick economic growth. I, I certainly believe that Nigeria is going to do well in a five to 10 year period. It's just the next two years are gonna be difficult. When we look at Ghana and the CD, they made a completely new currency, mm -hmm. right? I think they, it's now the Ghana CD before it was the CD. Yep. Um, so, and, and now, you know, when they made the Ghana CD, it was basically one-to-one -one with the dollar, but now I think it's about, don't quote me on this, maybe uh, four, seven or 14, I'm not sure, somewhere about there. Yep. Um, can Nigeria, learn from Ghana and sort of implement some of the things because I know that a lot of Ghanaians that affected them drastically mm -hmm. by almost like they got 10 times less payment or their their money was had 10 times less the purchasing power as it had before that they had when they had the CD so tell me what what are your thoughts on that well it it drove Ghana into defaulting on their debt um, at the 
before they had announced that they weren't going to be able to pay international debt because the exchange. Sorry, I just be, just because I want to be very, I want to break this down so simply for okay. the average person. What does it mean to default on your debt? If, if anyone is here doesn't understand. Sure, sure. So Ghana said to their creditors, their international creditors, we are not in a position to make future payments on the national debt that we may owe to you at the current interest rate. It's not that they will never pay them. It's simply that they're saying we need to renegotiate the terms. So. And so is it a bad thing to default on your debt? No, no, it was necessary. Okay. Uh, the, at the time that they had done that, that Ghana had made the decision to default on their debt, 70% of their uh, government's revenue was going towards servicing the debt. So it was on track to being at 100% meaning that every dollar that the government raised would have to go to finance um, or to finance payments on their debt. And that was just not sustainable and it would have destroyed their economy for no reason. The right move for them to do, it was a painful move and it'll probably hurt their ability to borrow money for the next five to 10 years. But the right move was to do the default and we'll see how they negotiate it. If they negotiate it well, I think that Ghana will also be able to recover quicker than people think. Nice. Okay. And then let's go back to Nigeria now. Um, you do think that it's going to be possible for Nigeria to get the Naira right down to 200, right? Uh, it's That's all going to come down. So if we're talking about for exchange rate, um, it's uh, it depends on what the U.S. does. It depends what happens with the U.S. dollar. If the U.S. dollar stays strong, that's going to be, it will be difficult to um, not have some depreciation against the U.S. dollar. The key is just going to be for Nigeria to grow their economy as quickly, as smartly as they can, and resist the temptation to just print money. If they maintain the value of their currency and grow their economy, it's very it's very realistic. I don't know if it's probable, but it's very realistic that they could hit the exchange rate targets they're looking for. I think come December, it's going to be really difficult to reprint um, to reprint more money. Though there is this you know money that is sort of invented. In, you know, mm-hmm. from digital, I, digital, yep. you know, money that you see in your bank account that's sort of like invented. But I think, you know, my guess is they've changed the Naira note. They're saying till end of December. It seems like it will be very difficult. No. It. They can always expand the money supply because the money supply can be expanded without just printing currency or printing dollar bills. Uh, even in Nigeria currency, they go off of a basically a fractional reserve banking system. So they can lower reserve requirements. So in, in other words, there's ways they can digitally create the currency without actually going to the printing presses and making more currency. But they should, you're saying resist that. So that's I, I believe that. resisting the temptation, keeping a strong currency, they can have some expansion of the money supply. That's fine. But if they, as long as they don't exaggerate, I think that they're going to do quite fine. Okay. And now let's talk about the dollar. You said that this is dependent on mm-hmm. whether the dollar stays strong. So mm-hmm. you're saying it will be more difficult if the dollar stays strong. Absolutely. Um, right. But we know that right now there's this ditching of the dollar that mm-hmm. China is ushering in. Right. Mm-hmm. And even the Kenyan president is saying, avoid going to losses, mm-hmm. get rid of your dollars. Now we know that a lot of the world, I think it's about 60% of the world's current, uh, okay, I'll, I'll put the numbers down, but there's a big percent of countries, countries have about around 66% or so 
of their reserves in dollars. And now that we're knowing that, or we're being told, get rid of your dollars, get rid of your dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think Nigeria should get rid of its dollars? And t- t- walk me through, you know, what mm-hmm. would be a good economic plan um, in, you know, thinking about the fact that, look, you, you mentioned that our biggest um, industry, was it mining, did you say? Or our fa- the, your fa- the fastest growing industry fastest in growing mining. is mining. So mm-hmm. we have gold, we have silver, mm-hmm. we have precious metal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have oil and gas. We have uh, uh, Dangote refinery that is, is going to be open. Well, they're saying it's going to be open this mm-hmm. year, every year, but we know that it's coming very soon. So we have these natural resources. But we're exchanging it for the dollar. And I know, like, you know, you're, you're a member of the Republican Party. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, it's fine. Okay, you're a mm-hmm. member of the Republican Party, but the dollar, pa- the dollar is toilet paper, right? The way that we treat it here in America, where everybody's getting loans, everyone is getting, you know, paying, spending money that mm-hmm. we can't afford, printing, printing, printing. 2020, uh, 2020 Trump prints $3 trillion, mm-hmm. causes this inflation that we're seeing today. Um, so the U.S. is abusing the dollar, but the rest of the world sort of like bears the brunt of that, bears the burden of that because mm-hmm. um, they they have their reserves in dollars and they're mm-hmm. sort of they're they're stuck to whatever the U.S. says goes right. Mm-hmm. But now that China is pushing in for BRICS, um, what do you think is the best strategy for Nigeria to do? And I know you you might be betraying mm-hmm. the Republican Party while no. you answer this question, but <laughs> no, 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 no. It's so if we're delving into the realm of currency risk, um, you want to make sure that I, I would say to anyone who's an investor right now is to stay fleet of foot and be ready to transfer between currencies if you're holding, if you had significant holdings. And I, was, I would extend that to the governments as well. Just simply stay fleet of foot. Uh, don't assume because of some bravado from, from other countries that the U.S. dollar is just going to be knocked out. It's still backed up by... Uh, the U.S. military, and it has one of the uh, more talented Federal Reserve systems in the world. So they they do know how to play the game. Meaning uh, what? What, what, do you, what? Okay, what does that mean? Uh, it means that they have an immense amount of talent to the, in the Federal Reserve system, mm-hmm. and the people who actually manage our currency. They're incredibly talented at fighting off other currencies. Right. Um, you've probably seen that 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 the U.S. has been very successful when there's been pushes in against the U.S. currency in, say, a, a Libya. You know, so we do have way, we do have ways to prevent attacks on our currencies. Right. Uh, China is China and Russia, which is when we say BRICS. I mean, BRICS is Brazil, Brazil, Russia, India, uh, China, and South Africa. But when we say BRICS, it's right now people are just generally considering it as China and Russia. The question for them is, are they going to be able to engage in a currency war against the United States and come out ahead without damaging their own economies? Um, it's a little bit difficult. I understand that they want to say that the death of the dollar is around. And frankly, the U.S. has printed a lot of money and there's reasons to be scared of the U.S. dollar. But at the same time, uh, relying on a, a BRICS currency something that's new or a new type of reserve system does well, expose to a different risk. So here's the thing, though. It's it's right now, and this is what I've said, right? The yep. Chinese are very, very smart. Mm-hmm. They're using this opportunity to boost the value of the Chinese yuan. Mm-hmm. 
in in the in between as they're discussing the uh, the potential BRICS. But I don't think China has any incentive to really want to push to a BRICS anytime soon. No. Right. Right now, it's for China. The best thing is to increase the value of one, and we have all of these countries saying, "Look." We're going to um, buy oil with, you know, the petrodollar. We're going to buy oil in our own currencies. But Russia is saying, look, we're going to buy it in Chinese yuan. Um, and so China is benefiting from this, right? So what chance does China's yuan have against the dollar? So what do they have? What, what, do they what have chances do they have to, if they were going to go head to head, you know, and fight the dollar off before you even include BRICS and all these other countries? What chances do the, the Chinese one actually really have? If they can, if they can win the hearts and minds of Africa and be able to work with their, with their um, African natural resources and form a, a uh, cohesive partnership, they have a chance. If they can't do that, then it would be very difficult. But they're not already doing that with the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, they where they're developing, I think, a hundred and something countries. They're developing, um, giving them infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, and as much as the U.S. will call those death traps, but what are what we discussed earlier with the IMF is not a death trap, mm -hmm. a death trap, right? So, but go on. No, I mean, so it's, but China still doesn't have a a significant military presence in Africa. Uh, they still are not, they're not very much an imperialistic country historically. So this is something that they're not as experienced in. I feel that this is something that the Europe and the and the U.S. have been doing for many, many decades or centuries at this point. So you you mentioned the military, and this is like sort of America's point of mm -hmm. um, of um, I do it, pride or something that they are leaning on. But you know, I'm reading this book right now, um, mm -hmm. the Hundred Year Marathon, mm -hmm. um, and he talks about how having the most powerful military is not necessarily unless you're going to go to a full-blown war but it looks like as we're in this digital era these countries we're going to talk about proxy wars later mm -hmm. these countries are pushing towards proxy wars these countries the u.s and china they don't want to ruin the development in their country nobody in america wants a nuclear bomb to hit anywhere in this country mm -hmm. right so you know it doesn't look as though a military in this era unless people are going to be reckless is really going to necessarily um, play out. So in this book, they break down how the reason that China got ahead of Russia is because Russia invested, I can't remember how much percent of its uh, GDP into its military. And so it was a heavy militarized nation. However, um, they were not able to flourish economically the way America was. But with China, they said, no, 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 no. We want economic flourish, um, to, to flourish economically. So we're only going to put I'm going to uh, correct this number if I get it wrong, but I believe it was 5%. We're going to build 5% of our GDP into military. That's it. Um, and that's how they were able to build their economy doing, you know, uh, manufacturing, uh, you know, around the world. And so they built up their middle class. And they still, at the end of the day, when it, when, when it comes down to it, because people keep talking about U.S., 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 China still has about 200 nukes, right? So if it, if it all is all said and done, I don't think... At the end of the day, they can still battle the U.S. Having more nukes like <laughs> is not necessarily going to help you, right? Because it, it only takes a certain amount of nukes before the planet is inhabitable, right? Mm -hmm. 
So that's the first question. Like, China has enough to support itself against America to the point where it's like, oh, total destruction of the world, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Then the second thing is they're talking about the fact that, look, if any country feels like they're going to lose, like they're saying about Russia, they'll just pull out the nukes, right? Um, they'll just pull out the nukes. So when you say the U.S. military, does that... Is that really important in 2023? I mean, I, th I think it certainly is. Um, the U.S. has been able to uh, influence countries, influence conflicts, uh, influence uh, countries economically. And I believe a big reason for that is that they have generally a far superior military to whatever area that they are in. But not China, though. That you'll have to talk to a military guy. I, I hope okay. we never find out the answer to that question. <laughs> I really hope we don't find that one out. That, that's true. That's true. Okay, so let's talk about proxy wars. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about proxy wars. Now, Sudan. Yep. Okay. Explain to me, how is it a proxy war? From, what, from my understanding, and I need to do more research, but mm -hmm. from my understanding, there is internal conflict already brewing with mm -hmm. the two groups, right? Yes. Um, and so is it, as, is it like... Russia and China saw the opportunity. Oh, these guys are fighting. Let's like let's like catalyze it, or because at the end of the day, there would be no conflict if these two groups were not, you know, of course. in conflict with each other. So how how is it then a proxy war if this is a real issue? I, I, so what I understand is that the military had been ruling, but then this other um, party started getting. They weren't a military, but I, I can't remember how they described them. But then they started getting a lot of funding. So now they've militarized and mm -hmm. now they're going head to get head because, uh, but people really want a democracy. So, t so yeah, tell me, how is this a proxy war? Well, it's a little bit of speculation, but if I was advising my clients on where to invest, I would be very hesitant to suggest investing into an area where a proxy war could potentially occur. So what happened in Sudan is that Sudan has been making inroads with Russia and China. So China has a whole bunch of uh, oil investments in Sudan, and then Russia is opening up a larger naval base on the coast of the Sudan, it's, which would give Sudan basically de facto protection against Russia. Now, the United States about two years ago had reopened um, diplomatic relations or an embassy uh, in Sudan. So it had been a 25-year absence. and what is speculated is that very quickly funding was given to opposition to encourage uh, a new government that would not play as nice with Russia and would be much more Western friendly. However, I would state at this point that the exact details are just simply speculation. If I was advising one of my clients, I would simply say that it appears that this is the case enough so that I would dissuade them from uh, investing unless they had a truly perfect idea. But what, yes, when you start seeing funding going to opposition and there's potential conflict between two major superpowers, you try to avoid those areas for investment. So let's go back on the topic, right? Nigeria and, mm -hmm. um, and the dollar mm -hmm. and this idea that like, as long as America's military is powerful, mm -hmm. the dollar will stay strong, mm -hmm. but not just the military. You mentioned other things. Um, yeah. Um, so I guess should 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 people in Africa be afraid of potentially having more proxy wars because of this threat with the U.S. and China? 
This is one of the difficulties with any country that's going to be accepting foreign aid is that you don't always know where that aid is going and that you can find... What does that mean, where it's going? What do you mean? So, or where it's coming from? Certainly, certainly. So if a country was to receive a, a large lump sum of, mo sum of money that's ostensibly going to alleviate poverty or to provide health care and there's no way to track where that money is going, that money could go to arm a, a rising political party that would be more aligned of, with the interests of another group. So... So this is why sort of the World Bank is like, look, we want to make sure that these companies that are, you know, applying for these loans, they're legitimate, they have a track record, or at least they have some sort of evidence of the fact that they're going to do what they're claiming that they're going to do. Correct. The World Bank, they don't want to see um, money that they lend not be repaid or even worse, going to causes that they may not support ideologically. Or even anything other than what they've given you the money Correct. for. Right. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Right. Okay. So back on the subject, it is in Nigeria's best interest that the dollar does decline. Depending on it, depending on how they structure themselves uh, financially, if they're holding if they're holding a lot of U.S. currency, they would want a stronger U.S. dollar. However, if they are breaking ties from the West, then a weaker dollar could potentially work in their favor. So the reason I'm asking this is earlier you said. I keep getting this fact wrong. Sure. You said the fastest growing industry is precious metals, right? It's mining of precious metals. It's quarry operations, which of which uh, a large part of that growth or the largest part of that growth is going to be um, basically uh, ore, basically metals being mined from the ground. But what I'm seeing here is that money is basically being mined from the ground and then exported. Being exchanged for dollars. Oh, but a lot of countries are saying they're, you know, selling their dollars and they're and they're keeping their money in in gold and precious metal, gold mm -hmm. and, and silver. But but Nigeria is doing the opposite in a time when the dollar is not strong or is not at its, at its, at its best and has a major threat on its hands. Well, is that a smart thing to do for Nigeria? It depends. It depends. So gold is a highly manipulated um, market. The gold market's very manipulated. You How so? How do, like, what does that because mean? It's basically there's a lot of pumping and dumping that goes on in, in the trading and currency market. There's a lot of manipulation that goes on in the market where the dollar or where the value of gold is either artificially depressed or artificially risen. Um, and the issue with gold is that we don't always know exactly how much reserves people have. And so there is imperfect information in the gold market. I'm not saying that gold is in any way a bad investment. I'm just simply saying that the markets are open to manipulation as all markets are. Right. So they say even like in, in, you can't even say how much gold there is in America. We don't know uh, how much gold is in Fort Knox. Right. I was going to say that. <laughs> right. We don't even know that here in America. Um, so if Nigeria were to say, oh, well, we have gold maybe people will say well we don't believe you is that what you're saying and then they would then attack the naira in if no, we, okay. no 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 i would be saying that because it, it those they could very easily verify how much gold that they had they they could verify their assets mm -hmm. uh, they have to make a calculated decision on all asset classes what they're what they are holding in in the nigerian central banks and what the government is holding if they believe that the U.S. dollar is going to be strong, which it has been for the last two to three years, it was one of the strongest currencies through the through the lockdowns of 2020 to 2022. The U.S. dollar um, outdid almost every currency. I think the only one that outdid it was the Russian ruble, 
was the only major currency that was really strong against the U.S. dollar. In 2020, but not in 2021, uh, 2022, it, though. <laughs> it, it eventually, they received some normality. But um, shortly after the Ukrainian war, uh, the Russian ruble fell in value for a few weeks and then uh, strangely recovered and became stronger than it had been before the Ukrainian war. So so you said, well, but they, well they say that is because they have oil, they have um they have um energy so at the end of the day like they have things that people need mm -hmm. the world needs right yes so should the, again the question at hand is should they be storing dollars or should they be storing raw resources things that are of value i think it depends on what the strategy is of the government um essentially if you are trading natural resources for dollars until you've reallocated those dollars into some other resource that you can use to add value to uh, generate more income right until until those dollars have been reallocated to a real asset you essentially did trade um you essentially just traded a raw resource for something that was printed on a computer that um they they can imprint infinite so they can print infinitely and can you know obviously it's subject to massive right. inflation yeah of course Th there's no limit to what the u.s could print besides the potential collapse of the entire dollar so talk to me about this 31 trillion dollar debt um there's going to be a government shutdown at 20 or at th sorry did i say 21 i mean 31 trillion dollar debt mm -hmm. there's gonna be a government shutdown at 32 trillion where look i mean i don't know if you've gone down the street here there's a clock there that you yes, can the, see yes, the, <laughs> that you can see this you know what is what's that going to mean for the u.s dollar what's that going to use mean for america and what exactly is a government shutdown all right so a government shutdown is when the government is simply just not financing what they would call non-critical activities so certain things like anything dealing with medicine anything dealing with military uh, police, that stuff always stays funded, no matter what goes on. So in Medicare, Medicaid is all going to be yeah, yeah, all, it's all, all going to be all funded. that. Everything's going to be funded. Uh, what ends up being shut down is things like national parks get shut down, monuments, uh, non-essential government services will get shut down if they don't raise the debt ceiling. So basically, the stuff that we that we praise so much about the West, right? The all the amenities of being in the West. That stuff is going to be shut down. Is what you're saying? It'll be shut down. These generally government shutdowns don't last that long. It, generally, they always raise the debt ceiling to finance things. So, how bad is it really going to get if they they keep raising this debt ceiling? Uh, essentially, it. And what is the point of then having a debt ceiling if you're going to raise it anyway? Well, that's an argument that the Republican Party has has made many many times. <laughs> um, but the um, but if we're just looking at it from a practical practical viewpoint the the u.s national debt um could grow significantly bigger without it destroying the economy what ends up ha the the risk is if the cost of servicing the debt was to increase and this is actually what happened to ghana um it's not really the amount of debt that you have it's the cost of servicing it so when ghana was just to make a little bit of a comparison here um ghana was actually fine at its national debt level until the cost for them to reissue bonds, to reissue debt, uh, increased dramatically, mm -hmm. which made the debt unaffordable. Right now, I don't have the exact numbers here, but the, the, US, the U.S. debt is not eating, is not taking close to, uh, I don't think it's even past 15% of the uh, tax revenues that the government raises. So they could grow the debt a lot more and it wouldn't cause the end of the U.S. dollar. Um, however, it is a cause of concern, and I do believe that all budgets should be balanced. 
you should be able to pay your bills without you know without going into but what debt. is exactly because i heard you know the u.s is just paying i think trillions just in debt from past interest. years yep. from the interest yeah so i mean that that's is, is that not concerning and 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 i'm just thinking even from the nigerian or not even just in nigeria but anyone mm-hmm. outside that's holding on to dollars shouldn't that tell you like you know put my money into real assets that you know are not don't, are not it's, subject to inflation yeah it, it's it's concerning it's concerning in the long term but there's not much risk in the short term it would be like if you had an uncle that's smoking cigarettes every single day he's probably going to live until he doesn't right so if the short term he'll be fine but long term there's going to be a lot of issues so then that's a great analogy um when is the u.s not going to live if, if this is going to keep happening and what kind of reparations or when I say reparations, well, no, I mean, what, what, will, what will it take to actually fix this debt problem in America? To fix the debt problem? Yeah. Um, is it even possible? Has any country ever done it before? I mean, short of short of just wiping the debt out. I mean, the America has done it. America lived most of its uh, history being completely debt free. Um, could it would, it would be the issue wipe in America, out the debt? What's it? So go on. Sorry. Go no, the the cost of servicing the debt right now is so inexpensive compared to the GDP growth that expanding the money supply and, to, and expanding the debt um, causes. Uh, the the benefit is right now greater than the cost. The biggest risk is if the debt ever stops being cheap. That that's the big risk that the U.S. has. So they have, it's kind of like they have like a little bit of a ticking time bomb. But as long as as long as they can uh, borrow money at one two percent. Right. They could theoretically they could have a hundred trillion dollars in debt and they'd still be able right. to pay. Okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. So basically the assets that the US is 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 bringing in generates a lot of money. It's just like anybody that's a real estate investor, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to use debt to buy, you yep. know, property, um but the cash flow that you're getting from that debt is going to is enough money to, to to you know, pay for your, you know, is to pay for your uh the interest rates and all of that. So you can still afford you can still afford it as long as the cash flow is flowing. So shutting down, so so you're saying that basically America is not even close to it, no. it, it because of the the cash flow is 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 so high. No, the, I would say the U.S. could sustain a much higher debt level. I don't believe that's desirable. I don't support it. I believe that we should do everything that we can uh, to uh, to eliminate the national debt. But just like your uncle who smokes too many cigarettes, it's okay. not going to kill him tomorrow or even the next year. Right. So what, what, what's up with the, all the propaganda, though, about this sort of and, and sort of these, you know, I think I think maybe the propaganda is from an individual level and saying, mm-hmm. don't keep your money in dollars. I think that's a lot of the propaganda that's saying, mm-hmm. you know, buy assets. Right. Mm-hmm. But talk to me about this U.S. recession um, and this fear that's that's, you know, mongering or fear mongering and fear that's you know in the air when like the u.s is making so much money anyway sure so um the u the federal reserve had during the the lockdowns from 2020 to to 2022 they had expanded the money supply greatly we've seen we're seeing that right now with inflation and the federal reserve has come out and said that they want to fight inflation by cooling down the economy Uh, what does that mean what that means is that if you if people can't spend money because they don't have money, the prices of goods and services can't go up quite as quickly, which lowers inflation on paper. So essentially what the Federal Reserve has done has been to raise interest rates uh, at key points in the economy in an attempt to slow down commerce. By slowing down commerce, that, key, that is intended 
to induce a recession. And the recession, theoretically, would wipe out a lot of the effects of the inflation. It basically gets them off the hook for printing too much money. Okay, I, I'm going to need you to break that down for me right. in, in more layman's terms. Sorry. so Just very simple, sim- simple stuff. <laughs> sure. So, so, so going back one a year ago, we saw inflation being reported on the CPI at 10 12%. And as you know in Nigeria, that reported inflation, if whatever they report, you can safely double or triple it. And that's what the regular person experiences. So in order to bring the inflation down, because they put all this money into the economy. People are buying this and yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people, people are, buy- are buying a lot of stuff. They made, uh, uh, what's his name? Arnard, Bern- Bern- the, guy, the richest guy in the world. They made him rich, the richest guy in the world, because they were buying LV with people, all their stimulus te- checks. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't, just this, it wasn't just the stimulus checks. It's when they, were, they put a lot of... Um, uh, money PPP to big money. businesses. Yes. Yeah, PPP. No, yeah, exactly. I, I don't want to call out anybody PPP. by name, but I do know more than a few people who owned businesses who got their PPP loan. Got arrested? I, no, they didn't get arrested. No, no. They, they got themselves an Italian sports car. Uh, so, it, so. Hey, if it's a business expense, why is that a problem? <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, if you go down to Ferrari of Washington right now and you try to, uh, to buy a a $300,000 car, they'll put you on a wait list. It, it, there's so much money that has flown to special interests in this country, right. particularly here in Washington, uh, in Washington, D.C. What the Federal Reserve is trying to do is to basically, they've actually stated they're concerned about wage growth. They're concerned about people making more money because as they make more money, they're going to spend more money. As they spend more money, that drives the prices of goods and services up. Right. The Federal, it's kind of a weird thing. It's uh, like a person who loves to drink alcohol but doesn't want to hang over. The Federal Reserve loves to print money. They just don't want to deal with the inflation afterwards. And they'll do what's necessary to prevent that uh, from being reported on the books. Okay, so then the cooling of the economy is how? how like, how, does, how do you then do you raise, that? You raise, the, you raise the short-term lending rates. Um, you... Okay, yeah, so, 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 okay, but short-term lending rates to who? So that's the money that banks lend to other banks, and that establishes a lot of the interest rates in a country. The cause you don't go to the Federal Reserve to borrow money yourself. The Federal Reserve will we'll lend give money it to, to other banks, banks and, and then, then they yes. So, but they're basically making the people in America just pay it off, right? Correct. Essentially. Uh, essentially, they're transferring the effects of inflation. Uh, from being reflected in consumer prices to being so this is why Facebook will say well we have to get these layoffs because we have these interest rates that we have to pay back that is so high I think Facebook's just profit maximizing I think even if we were had a booming economy they would still fire their employees <laughs> I think most companies are would be that way too well that that, that aside but um, I mean Facebook even they just have this new um, Ver- verification tick and they just added yes uh, was it um i mean 600 million a month yeah they uh <laughs> yes they've, they've come to us for the 12 dollars a month as well with my company right the um so elon musk did uh he certainly showed them the way didn't he right he really did and you know i don't blame them take you know maximize the profits as much as possible but Okay, aside from what you said that, you know, you think Facebook will do it anyway, but is that one of the reasons, the incentives for other companies, not Facebook, other companies to say, well, we need to get rid of this because we have such high, we have higher you know, yes. interest rates that we have to pay back to the government, basically. Well, it's, the, again... Or the, for our loans that we're getting for the government, and Right, et so when there's higher inflation, what ends up happening um, is that the cost for, for lending goes up for everybody. Um, and so if 
everybody is buying things and uh, they're buying houses, they're buying cars, everybody's making a lot of money. The price of everything is just going to go up. And as that gets reported in the inflation indexes, if inflation is reported, let's just say at, at 10%, there's no way you're going to get a bond to grow your business at 5%. Your bond is going to be at 12%, 13%, which is going to, which is going to affect larger businesses that rely on issuing of bonds to maintain their liquidity in most cases. So the Federal Reserve is to protect those interests are, is going to have to slow down the economy, which slows down the inflation rate, which brings the cost of borrowing down for companies like a Facebook or any major corporation. I don't want to just single one company out, any of them. Okay, got it. Um, so going back to Nigeria, because this is business in Nigeria, um, the dollar is strong, is what you're saying, and there's and so mm -hmm. you're saying that for Nigerian for the Nigerian country currency to do better, the dollar would need to be weaker. Did but it looks like there's no chance of that happening. There's there is a chance that if if the U.S. economy was to contract, there could be and the Federal Reserve was to go back to rapidly expanding the money supply, or if BRICS was successful in getting people just to stop using the dollar and the demand for the dollar went down, in that case, then that would hurt the U.S. dollar, and it would be forced well, that's, to that's, it. That's, I guess, hypothetical, and yes. we don't even know if there's going to be a BRICS currency. They're, they're going to have a meeting in Correct. August to even yes. discuss it. But it's really, so I wouldn't even look at BRICS as an option. I would look at the Chinese yuan against the dollar, right? Mm -hmm. But what are the chances that the yuan has any sort of way to <laughs> defeat the dollar? Um, China's probably is not willing to do what's necessary to defeat the dollar because what's, it gonna, they, what's what's necessary they'd have to loosen up the controls on their currency and china doesn't want all of their currencies to start being held overseas because they'll lose control of the value of their currency why how i thought that would increase the value of your currency certainly in the short term but if imagine if half of your currency is being held by foreign banks and those foreign banks decided that your currency wasn't as valuable and started to sell it off that could have an impact on your economy at home, and that that would definitely that would definitely be something that the U.S. would even do to China, right? Attack at China in that way. Uh, theoretically, they could do that, right? And the U.S. is actually because you know a lot of the U.S. currency is held outside of the country, and that actually forces America to be more involved internationally than I think that they would really want to be mm -hmm. because they now they have to protect the value of their currency. They well, have so, to I mean, they, they, I think they do want to be because at the end of the day, not only do they have to protect the value of the, the currency, um, but also it gives them this leverage to sort of bully, you know, other countries as, mm -hmm. you know, is being described and gives them this leverage to have, have their militaries. I believe in almost every African country, they have boots on ground. Um, th th this leverage comes from, you know, the dollar, right? And it's, it's symbiotic because the dollar wouldn't have the leverage without the military and the military wouldn't have the leverage without the dollar. They're somewhat intertwined in that regard. So the military is a very powerful component. When you said that earlier that, um, well, the dollar's not going to be attacked because the military. Correct. That's what you mean. Yeah. The U.S. dollar is backed by the U.S. military. It's, it used to be so backed by gold. It used to be backed by gold. Now it's backed by military. You know what? The funny thing is that the, when you say that, <laughs> because yeah, it used to be backed by gold. Then was the petrodollar, right? Mm -hmm. um, and now it's looking like it's the military. But when you say that, that's actually scarier 
that's actually scarier. So it's like the threat now is no longer, oh, oil and gas. The threat now is like we have the military and our military has nukes. Or has that always been the case, but oil was just a prettier picture to put for us? The petrodollar was just prettier. Well, I can't speak to that. I don't know any country right now. I, I would pray that no country or even, no special interest would ever turn to nukes for any reason whatsoever. No, absolutely not. I'm just, I'm saying hypothetically, you Hypothetic. know, backing, I don't even think they need to, they don't, I don't think anyone needs to turn to nukes. Um, you know, America showed its power. Um, you're actually, you're actually, you're solid on that because it was after Pearl Harbor and, the, uh, and Hiroshima or as Trump says, Hiroshima. I think that's how they say it in. Um, I think that's how they say it in, in, in Japan. Actually, Hiroshima. <laughs> um, so after Hiroshima, that the America actually became a superpower. So it was the military that made America a superpower. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, then the deals, then pegging the dollar to to gold. I, th I think that was in Bren Woods. And that was yeah. They they stopped that in 1972, I believe. Well, 1971 with Nixon and um, he when he 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 stopped that and then in 1974 then went to Saudi Arabia and brokered the deal for the petrodollar, mm -hmm. which then allowed America to um, first of all print a lot of dollars, but that was good because they could now trade or make sure that there's this influx of um, trade that's coming into the into the dollar every single day. But it's almost as though look, it was a leveraging point, right? The military has always been the reason that America is a superpower from its inception. I would say the inception of America being a superpower. Mm -hmm. But then they used, they hedged that against sort of like the petrodollar. And that is what sort of allowed the currency to flourish even further, right? I would agree with that, yep. Right. So because of this system is in place, it's going to be very, very difficult for China to take down the dollar. And I don't think that um, I don't think that taking down the dollar is necessarily what China is looking to do. What do you think they're trying to do then? I think that they what what they want to do is have influence over Africa and they want to push Western influence out of Africa. How does that benefit them? It benefits them because it benefits them by giving them a geopolitical advantage um, so that they are not pressured really by the U.S. military or by U.S. military sanctions. They're getting they're basically just collecting chips right now. And that's the same thing that Russia is doing. When you say you're talking about the microchips, you're talking about. TSM? No, 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 no. I mean, oh. they're, 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 <laughs> they're, they're collecting. They're trying to collect African countries in my right. in my estimation. Well, not just Africa, because it's literally with, with, with between the Shanghai Cooperation Agreement, the Belt and Road Initiative. It's the world that they're really trying to push to the Chinese agenda. And a lot of when you look at a lot of Chinese um, nationalism and Chinese literature, they want like I think the hundred year marathon was from Mao's um, presidency and or was he a president? I'm, don't call me on this, but I but think he, from, he was chairman. I think is the right. There we go. That's his, yeah. But his time as leadership, right? Mao's leadership uh, period until until you know that's the goal for China to become the world superpower. So as much as it looks like they're just collecting chips, you know, uh, you know Mao caused a, a famine. You know, he caused a famine and look at where China is today. And that's that sort of like gentle giant approach is how they sort of deceived America to trade with them in the in the 90s and uh, uh, put all the manufacturing in China. But I'm mm -hmm. saying what I'm really trying to say is that it might be the, the agenda today, but the goal for China is to rule the world. So. Um I guess you would have to be careful what you wish for. Um, I don't know what China's long-term goals are. Um, 
However, it does appear that Africa is, whatever those long-term goals are, uh, having the hearts and minds of the Africans is a critical component to whatever that is. You very well may be right, but I can't speak to that with any degree of authority. I understand that. And the U.S. is threatened by that. Why? Well, simply put, that 30% of the critical resources for economic development are in Africa, uh, according, actually according to the U.S. Economic development for the U.S. Correct. For so the U.S. You know, U.S.'s benefit. So if China controls that, China has a that uh, sort of like um, has the ab- ability to block off that revenue potential, basically. Yeah, basically, thir- the 30% that right now has been the almost exclusive privilege of the Western world would now either be split or transferred completely over to uh, China, Russia, and the other BRICS nations. And that's everything against, you know, the U.S.'s goal for sus- sustaining everything that we have here. To sustain our economy, we need to have access to natural resources without those it would be very difficult to sustain our standard of living right so this is the business in nigeria podcast how can nigerians benefit from this china and america don't commit to one side if i was advising that don't don't rush and say i'm going to be all for bricks don't rush and say i'm going to be all for america let everybody come to you with the best possible offers but i would keep an eye on their own personal independence and developing their own businesses internally and and, oh, okay, and I'm just going to say I know when to see a debt trap when it's there, you know, when it's in plain sight, right? Mm-hmm. So th- th- is this now forcing America to improve some of the 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 investment um, investment deals that they're offering Africa now that China, because they're you know, there's all this propaganda about China's debt traps, but like what we established earlier, the U.S. is also, you know, putting debt traps in Africa. So mm-hmm. does this now encourage both parties to do give better deals to Africa? You would think you would think so. I'm not seeing an improvement in the Western world's deals towards Africa. So what is all this? I, I get the propaganda thing in America. I just think it's so disingenuous when Biden and Kamala Harris go on camera or go in these conferences and they keep talking about giving these lectures about China and saying Africa needs to avoid debt traps. Africa needs to do what's best for Africa. But you turn around and what you, you're offering is not what's best for Africa. What is the point of why even say it in the first place? Well, it's just that. It's propaganda. They, so they for have... the untrained eye, they can believe in the power of America, basically. But when you look in the details mm-hmm. and you'll be like, wait a minute, this is a debt trap. Uh, anyone who's tried to buy a, a sports car and, and seen the guy come out with some high interest rates after thinking you were getting <laughs> a great deal understands exactly what's going on here. Right. Um, it's the we... The Western world has been very worried. If you look at President Macron from France, has been they've been pushing him. They pushed him 18 times total into on African tours, trying to drum up support. Uh, Kamala Harris was sent through, I believe, three different African countries, strategically picked African countries, um, just trying to get people to believe in continued alliances with the West. Again, I, I the, don't... the Ghanaian president uh, basically almost dismissed dismissed her when when you know when she said that because he said we want to like every other country we want to partner with everyone. Right. Everybody is our friend basically. Right. So and why is the U.S. so pressured? And I get it. I get economically why. Mm-hmm. But it's so pressured to push this propaganda and put the, almost this brainwashing that pick us and only us when people just what's my business? What's going on in Ukraine? What's my business? What's going on in China or in America? Let me fix my country. 
the U.S. wants you to fight over um, non-tangible issues. Um, they, they, one of the reasons I believe that they push, push social issues so heavily in Africa is that it's something which doesn't threaten business. It doesn't threaten them economically. They're, they're free issues for people to fight over. Um, I don't I, understand, though. I don't, I don't understand that. They, if you want to keep a country dependent on you, you want to encourage social disharmony. And however you, however you can encourage social disharmony uh, is going to help you achieve those goals. Okay, let's let's talk about the LGBTQIA plus. Mm-hmm. How does that when there's a there's a general consensus that mm-hmm. Africa is against the LGBTQIA plus? Mm-hmm. So how is that going to cause disharmony? There's there's a clear no. We're not going to do this because because it's an intangible thing for people to fight over. Who is going to fight over though? There's no fighting. It's like we decided no. <laughs> if it was forced, if it was forced, and it's not. It's actually it's not as cl- it's not as clear of a no, because when incentivized, there's a very good chance that some African countries will give in and want to make social reforms that America wants. So what you're saying to me is, this is how you develop proxy wars. I, you create this sort of social conflict within mm-hmm. the country, yes. right? Correct. And then if it brews enough, just like uh, Sudan, Mm-hmm. That's now the time to strike. Correct. So it's Africa's, it's in Nigeria's best interest. So like, for example, this election that we see going on right now and how everybody's against, uh, or not everybody, but certain groups that wanted to vote for, vote for Peter Obi, they, they're just not wanting to accept Tinubu. It's in Nigeria's best interest to accept Tinubu because if we keep this, you know, fighting, that's when the U.S. will find an excuse to bring its military and profit even more and make us more dependent on them like you uh sudan is, is basically what you're saying now i don't like to speak specifically on the politics of a country that i'm not personally a member of right. so okay. nigerians have to decide who they're going to support however i would say that what i would caution against is uh dividing the country across political lines and attempting to unify to the best degree possible uh no one besides business benefits from a civil war or civil unrest right because the war the that's a that's a whole other i'm gonna have to get a military person to come on of course but that's a whole other sort of uh the military industrial complex we've heard about the police one but also the military industrial complex and that's probably america's biggest business right so again uh depends on what your definition of business is, but certainly uh, America allocates a huge amount of funds into its military and the use of that military to achieve uh, political and economic goals. So is it Nigeria's best interest to just accept Tinumbu and, and stop sort of like, this is what I'm saying as, as a member of the country and yep. someone that actually, you know, mm-hmm. accept Tinumbu and stop riling around before the U.S. says, or other, like people are saying, help us, help us. So people went out to the military or begging the Nigerian military to stop this. But ultimately, mm-hmm. if Nigerians keep or don't accept Tinumbu, this is the perfect brewing storm that America can see as a, a financial opportunity to, oh, well, we have to we have to support Nigeria, mm-hmm. just like Ukraine. Again, I can't tell Nigerians what to do. However, if I was advising someone on whether or not to invest in Nigeria and I was to see growing, um, I guess, uh, disharmony because of not accepting the presidential results 
and I saw that as a potential systemic risk to the stability of the country, I would advise against going to Nigeria. However, I, I work with Nigerians, I speak with them. Uh, I understand that people are, certain people are disappointed with the outcome of the election. However, I don't believe it's to the point that the, there would be a civil war. I think that no, what, will most what I think most likely is going to happen is um, there will be some changes, particularly in the banking system. I think that they're going to probably want to put their own, the, new, the incoming administration will want to run the currency their own way. They probably are not very happy with how it's been run, and I can understand that. So we will, we will see what reforms are put in place, and really, if Nigeria is going to start taking a much more of a long-term view towards their economy, which I hope they do. Mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think that is what's going to happen most likely, but... Again, we'll I, see. I, I was just speaking hypothetically as an example. I don't. I also. I. It's clear yeah. that Tinubu is going to be yes. uh, president, right? It's clear. But I'm just giving sort of painting a picture so people can really understand what's going on in Sudan and what's going on oh, even yes. in Ukraine. Let's just quickly, briefly talk touch on mm -hmm. Ukraine. So, mm -hmm. my question is, how is U U.S. benefiting financially from Ukraine now? This is aside from the fact that the U.S. is selling energy. Uh, oil and gas to Europe and at, at, mm -hmm. at high prices, um, and some people sort of question whether that's even a good idea because, well, the dollar that is you know subject to inflation, you're you're giving our probably most valuable resource, right? Oil and gas, you're giving it to countries for dollars, which is like not necessarily going to maintain its value. So that's one whole conversation, but. Maybe we should touch on that first, right? Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? And then we'll talk about the other opportunities or in the other industries in the Ukraine war. So you want me to talk about the Ukraine war? Or do you want me to talk about the, the risk of holding U.S. dollars? Well, I want to talk about the, the, U, the U.S. selling oil and gas to, right. to, to Europe and instead of holding on to our oil and gas. Like, why? I think we have we we're either number one or number two um, country in terms of oil reserves. So we have we have enough oil that we can run our economy safely for hundreds of years. We're we're very good there. The okay, just before you even touch on that, so that's actually pretty sweet to hear because in addition to that, just to hedge that or to make it more profitable, this like move into renewable energy mm -hmm. just makes that a surplus. Yeah, so I mean if it however we create the energy is is fine as long as it's is it's economically efficient. So if it came from renewables or it came from gas. But uh, I'm saying Biden is really pushing for renewable. Like there are some states that are saying by 2030, you know, we're, all cars on the road like I think California all cars on the road will be renewable or will be uh, solar or whatever. No. Um so solar powered or electric, sorry, that's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. So we see this push from Biden you know, to go out of oil and gas, but it's almost like we have a surplus financially, and it's also better for the environment. Uh, so, uh, slightly different area, but the um, there is a, there is a push to go to more electric cars in the U.S. to more renewable energy. But it, either way, we have adequate energy supply to power our country. It's just a question of how economically efficient that path will be. Okay, okay, and then so let's talk. So back to Europe, right? Um. It's a, so it's a good thing that America is able to, you know, sell oil and gas and make a lot of money. Uh, if you're the American economy, yes, that's a very good thing. 
if you're right. the Europeans, it's probably not a good thing. Right. That's why Macron is saying, you know, we need to not stop being so reliant on America. Yes, but in order for them, in order for Macron not to be reliant on America, he would have to have better relations with the African continent. And after running the CIFR and um, and uh, engaging in those um, the transfer of wealth through currency exchange, I think it's going to be very hard for him to have the appropriate relationship in with the West African countries. My personal assessment of that. Well, definitely, I think the the world is tired. Let me be specific: Africa, West Africa, especially Francophone Africa, mm-hmm. they're tired of the, these um, imperialism. They're tired. It's still happening. You know, you know the fact that the French, the French central bank controls the the uh, CFA francs. Like it, it's it's absurd. How is that even allowed in twenty twenty three? Well, they're talking about going to the Evo the EVL. Um, so in his uh, his recent tour of Africa, uh, Macron had spoken about giving more autonomy to the Africans with the creation of their currency. Uh, the question is whether that's going to be too little too late and whether they can hold on to the West African What countries. would it take for these West African countries? Because we, we've heard about these rumors of an echo currency for West Africa. I'm sorry, I think I said EVO instead of ECO, but yes. Oh, is that what you meant? Eco, eco, uh, okay. I, I, I think I said the wrong one. Right, right, right. Okay, so that's what I mean, right? Um, so what would it actually take for, for you know, because West Africa is not all Francophone. Nigeria mm-hmm. has no, no nothing to do with, in terms of imperialism, has nothing to do with France. Neither does Ghana, right? And and we don't even look mm-hmm. up to the UK either, right, in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Or we don't necessarily answer to them, especially as the US, the UK is not as powerful as it was 150 years ago. So, um um, so in that case, what then can these African countries do if they unify and create this echo currency and really mm-hmm. push these colonial masters away? So if they were to go to an, a unified African currency, regardless of what they call it, if they were to go to that, uh, there's a few difficulties that they would have to face. And the reality is that uh, African countries are at different developmental stages. They have different economies. They have different needs at different times. And it would be they would be losing the ability to, for them to manage their currency independently to achieve the best economic outcome for, for their country for themselves. The advantage they would have is that there's strength in numbers. So they would be it would be more easy to maintain a stable currency with if you had six, seven, eight, or more African nations unified under one centralized bank that would be a lot easier to maintain value. Um, however, it does give, a country has to give up a lot of autonomy for that to happen. Okay, you would give up autonomy, and mm-hmm. it's almost as though it would be very difficult just thinking about the tribalism in, in Africa, the issues that we have within our own countries around tribalism, for us to then say, look, let's unify. Um, but I, I wanna lean into the strength in numbers concept Mm -hmm. because when more people are accountable to it fewer people can there's less room for corruption correct so there's more opportunity um to actually number one like you said have a stable currency but fight anyone that came and tried to sort of attack the currency right one of the if, if there is one advantage to the the west african franc when we're looking at it from an investment standpoint because it's pegged to the euro it has a lot more natural stability than the typical African currency. 
But it's not to say that Africa couldn't do things to the same effect. It would just simply need to be more countries and a larger economy backing up the currency. Why are countries pegging their currency to the dollar, the euro? For, stabi- for stability. I mean, that. And that's better than pegging it to uh, natural, uh, like gold, oil. Mm-hmm. If you have oil in your country, like Nigeria, you have oil and gas. Mm-hmm. So let's say let's say you did peg your currency to oil. This is where it can be very complicated. Oil can have variations in value or, or fluctuations in value that could be over 100% in a given year. It could go from $50 a barrel to $120 a barrel and then come back again. So by strictly pegging a currency to oil, you're setting up a country for uh, basically an economic roller coaster. So okay. it has to still be managed. It would have to be multiple... Um, you have to be m- multiple types of hard assets and be very carefully managed. Also, like stuff like oil, uh, gold, silver, mm-hmm. and a bunch of other stuff. Because you said also silver is always fluctuating also. Yes. Gold and silver, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so usually you wouldn't want to spread the risk out. Um, the U.S. dollar, because it's just naturally been stable and the euro has naturally been stable. You can put that in air quotes because what's the true definition of stability? But they've been stable for so long that by pegging a currency to them, it does give more more stability than than what currencies or than what countries believe they could get on their own managing their own currency. So what if what if Nigeria says today, once you know uh, Dangote refinery is up and running, Nigeria mm-hmm. says uh, we're only selling oil in naira. It would marginally increase the demand for the naira. It would increase the value in the short term. They may get some pushback. They may get some pushback from the markets. Um, they may have some difficulty in sales initially, but it wouldn't be the worst idea. But it because I'm, be think, a- I'm thinking if the Ukraine war is still going on right now, mm-hmm. and Europe is saying, ha, America, your prices are terrible. And Nigeria says, yeah, you can buy oil from us, Europe, mm-hmm. but you have to buy it in Naira. It would, it would greatly increase the demand for the Naira. Um, it would increase the value of the Naira in the short term. That would most likely hurt the exports. It would, it would hurt um, Nigerian export companies. When you say exports? So basically, if you were doing manufacturing in Nigeria, if the currency becomes stronger, it's going to... But there are not that many manufacturers. Like, that's the, kind of the problem, though. There's well, no, that's, that's where, not, there's not that many exports. There's a lot of importing. That's, only, okay, go on. That, that's, where, that's where, if I was to criticize the Nigerian economy, that would be one of my main criticisms, is that value should be added more domestically. Which is good, but what, right now in this scenario that I'm discussing, yes. this strategy, right, where mm-hmm. there's not that much exported, Mm-hmm. It wouldn't. So it, at that point, if we're not going to, if we're willing to sacrifice our exports a little bit, um, then den- engaging in policies that would increase the value of the naira would be a positive thing, because it would make importing a lot more affordable for Nigerians. So Nigeria doesn't necessarily have to wait to do that. They don't have to wait for the. Uh, they don't have to wait for the refinery to be ready they could just say today well we're only going to since all these countries are saying look mm-hmm. we're going to we're buying oil with our currency they could just say that to tomorrow and say Correct. right and 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 in this moment right now this is the i would think this is the time to strike right because you have um the u.s um selling europe these high prices for oil but we say look our price is cheaper than in america but you have to pay for right. it in naira so what what is the pushback there 
and Europe would Europe would like that. They would so if they could meet the demand, um, and also if they could have cohesion between all parts of the government, including the centralized bank, if they were to make that move. So you would still have to be working with the central banker, um, who we don't know if he's going to be. Uh, that's I terrible. With you mean CB on governor? Right, correct. Correct. Yeah, okay. Correct. Yeah. So, how do I say his name? Godwin. Um, how do I say his name? Mephile. Yeah. I messed that up so many times in my videos. It's fine. So, <laughs> so, so, we don't know if he's going to be staying on with the new administration. We we don't. It's we, no yeah. way to tell. Yeah. So, but it, to do any kind of major shift that would be impacting the Nigerian currency, you would want to have everybody on the same page while that's going on. Because if you increase the value, you do it at the wrong time, you could rise, you could unintentionally raise interest rates for all the Nigerians. So I think the best time to do it would be when Dangote refinery is open because if the refinery is not open and you do that, mm -hmm. well, then Europe can say, well, we're going to sell you a premium for our, for our um, refined oil. Since you Correct. guys, they could do that and they Correct. could decide they're going to mess you up. Correct. But when now Nigeria is now independent and says, look, we supply our own oil and gas. You know, we or our own reform, ref, refined oil. Well, we don't really need you for maybe there are other markets that you the Europeans can manipulate um, in that way. But at the very least, the most important, I guess, the most lucrative markets, which is you know the oil and gas. There's opportunity there, but it, like you said, it would affect the exporting. I know that there's a lot of um, agric agriculture exporting that people are mm -hmm. making a lot of money, but the numbers are the export. It's so I just interviewed someone the other day, and it's so bad. Like there's so many there, are so many crates that leave Nigeria every day, empty because there's not that much exported. Mm -hmm. So I would also um, maybe propose a third option for that that if Nigeria was to increase the value added, the manufacturing, um, the oil dependent industries, I think that they could perhaps grow their GDP very rapidly. And I think that that would also increase the value of the Naira. So I, again, that's a big push. What I've said when we're doing analytics on different African countries, <clears throat> when people ask what's the long-term projection, I generally say it's dependent on how much value can be added mm -hmm. to raw resources in a given area, because I don't really look, someone will say to me, well, what's going on with the banking industry? What's going on with, you know, these tangential industries? And they, you can't grow these industries unless the foundation of the economy is strong and the foundation of a strong economy, with the exception of if you get to be the size of America, it doesn't matter. But for most economies, it's, do you have a strong manufacturing base? Do you have a strong value added base? And if Nigeria, because Nigeria, they do have good value added. They have plenty of talent. They have an excellent university system, in my opinion. I wouldn't uh, say excellent. That's not the word I would use, but it's rigorous. <laughs> so I, I have a video. I took. I took an. A, <laughs> rigorous I took a, is the word. <laughs> I took a Nigerian um, economics exam, a senior level exam, um, just to see what it was like. Because I have a Nigerian that works for me that went to uh, school for economics in in Lagos University, um, and it was. Uh, equal, if not harder, to what I had at the University of Maryland. So, 
I, I have a lot of respect for the night. The yeah, Nigerian. I mean, but that's the question. If the school is even running, they're not on strike. There's a lot of these issues that people certainly, face. Certainly, certainly. Right? I, I, to be to clarify, then I'm just simply judging it off the rigorousness of. Uh, I'll, the, say, I'll say it's rigorous in other ways, but. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so bear in mind, my, I, I just took a couple tests through Nigerian University. Right, so fair that's, enough, fair that's where my perspective comes right, from. Right, right, right. <laughs> and also, I've hired Nigerians and I've. I found them to be excellent workers. Fantastic. So. Yeah. Well, Nigerians in America. Yes. Well, that's a completely different. Um, it's a different. Uh, it's like it's it's this. You know how different. Like the way Nigeria is just not. It's not easy to do business. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a great. It's like I think it was ranked really low. I'll put the number in terms of like uh, ease of doing business. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of unemployment. It's really high. I'll put the rates up. So there are all these issues. So in Nigeria, it's actually difficult to have a strong workforce. But the people that are able to leave and they see the, wow, the ease of doing business in America is like phenomenal. The government actually helps you. Mm-hmm. People, when they hit the ground, they run and yeah. they make sure. So that's why that's what you're seeing. You're seeing the people that are taking the advantage of everything the you know that this land has to offer. Um, but in the country, it's not as easy oh, I, because there's yeah. there's this sense of hopelessness because of the way the country has been run. So, and I hope to see that improve because brain drain is one of the other, I guess, not talked about um, problems in Africa. That some of the most talented people who who are educated locally in Africa, they tend to want to leave, and they Look, tend to. It started with the slave trade. Mm-hmm. And we're just, it's still happening. The brain drain, it's its still happening continuously. Um, mm-hmm. This is actually why um, earlier, there's this book that I, you know, I'm reading called How Europe Underdeveloped Africa. And one of the ways that it did this is by, um, during that sort of slave trade era, is they basically flushed out or like, removed all the industries or a lot of the industries that were in Africa and made European goods um, in demand. So they kind of like, so even something like horses that were traded in the north, the Europeans brought their own horses and sort of like, you know, intimidated other markets to get out. So Europe actually benefits from selling consumer goods, even when these consumer goods were not strong and they're not quality. Mm-hmm. You know, they still sort of like pushed out all these other industries uh, to make sure people buy European goods. So you're not only exporting at that time, we're exporting our, our human capital and mm-hmm. it's an exchange for European goods. Um, and then you're, you're, you're hurting the other the the local industries in that way mm-hmm. so we, we, when we see that happening again today um you know and we see you know whether it's oil and gas like and when you see we see these loans that america is saying that we're going to give you know we're going to give to nigeria well it's for the benefit of america but when we look at what how america has benefited historically it's by you know shutting down other industry real industries in africa or at least West Africa, but even East Africa, they actually also ended up getting slaves from East Africa as well in the end. But um, yeah, so it's this is how it's been designed to do historically. This is what it was designed to do historically, to to you know stop the flow of industry. So my real question is how how sincere is America really? When when I, when you talk about we have to align with America in interests in order to get these loans. But how sincere is America really about improving Africa? 
you know, is this all propaganda? So again, uh, are they sincere about improving Africa? Um, they're there for their own their own interests. I mean, that's there's no way around that. So but it, the, the interest cannot be as is is the interest still as predatory as it was back then? Just in a different way. Yes, of course, we know slavery, human using human as slave is like ridiculously uh, brutal. But in other ways, you can still exploit with oil and gas. In other ways, you can still exploit. You know. In a, le- or in a more humane way, right? I think that the traditional Western way of doing business with Africa is to get at the natural resources as quickly as possible. And if the people just weren't there, that would be to the benefit of the Westerners. So I guess the idea now, if, if you're looking at this and you're an African, delay, delay, delay. I would say, if, if I was an African right now, I would, I would delay. I would, again, I would focus on developing the economy with as internally as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, have manufacturing internal, have finance being done internally. Uh, go through some growing pains. Um, China has done that. I mean, China grew, how quickly did China grow? From so, the 90s, right? Um, it, it, well, really, it, was, it really started in the 80s. When I, when I was a kid, they were, I mean, China was thought of as a very, very poor right. country, yeah. a place that we needed to donate charity to. Right. Um, Okay, so, so let's talk about that. What is what is the framework that you would say that anyone that's listening to this as an entrepreneur, because you know, and maybe even like a, a government, someone that works in the government, mm-hmm. what can Nigeria do to actually? What are key, you know, what what's a blueprint that you would say for real economic change that will allow Nigeria and even West Africa mm-hmm. to stand on its own two feet and not be so sure. dependent on on the West or China? Sure. I mean, so first you have to start with your end goal with what you what do you want from the economy do you want a top heavy economy where just a few people benefit or do you want a strong middle class that's that's a the country has to decide that but i think that it's clear that you want a strong middle class every country that has has succeeded has a strong middle class apart from russia i guess but russia isn't really a superpower uh, economically no uh, again it's they have to decide that that their goal is going to be to have a strong middle class like it's not just hey that would be something nice to have like a Louis Vuitton bag, right? You, you, <laughs> it has to be something you, you actually are going to go and, and dedicate and be willing to have growing pains because it's always going to be easier at this point to go cut a deal with a Western company, have them put refineries in, have them do business, have quarries, take all the resources out. That, and that's an easy way to do business. If, you, if the African countries start saying, hey, listen, we're going we're gonna to build up our manufacturing, we're going to build up our own banking system, we're going to go through and we're going to figure out what works, what doesn't. And we know that maybe it'll be a step backwards, at least initially, and it may be a little bit harder, but it's going to be something where we're going to have many steps forward after that. So as Africa just starts to do as much as it can internally and adds value as much as it can, as it can internally, the, country is going to, the countries are going to start to resemble Western economies more in terms of self-reliance. And I personally believe that for regular people throughout the world, this is a benefit. So for me as a business person, do I want a weak Africa or a strong Africa? I want a very strong Africa. Why? Because the way I see it, that's a few billion more customers for me. I want Africa to be as rich as possible because I want to sell to Africans. Uh, A policy that keeps Africa weak or policies that keep Africa weak and I guess lower, lower income doesn't benefit me, and I, and I think so. What, we, are we realizing around the world that it's better to not have developing countries anymore? It's better for every country to 
to to to at least alleviate poverty to an extent that so that so that the capitalists mm. in the world can truly benefit in in new ways i think for any business person uh the more wealth that exists in the regular person the better it is for business there may be some cases where an individual special interest benefits from poverty i i i'm aware of that but if you're a regular business owner you want wealthy people imagine I mean, if I keep going back to poor Louis Vuitton here, but how many bags are they selling to the Chinese right now? Right. So, I mean, so this is interesting because we talked earlier about the government and sort of the military, right? Mm -hmm. And how there's interest if, you know, I guess it's more short-term interest. And I'm going to mm -hmm. ask about Ukraine in a bit. There's more short-term interest for the U.S. government if there's conflict in a country, you know, um, in Africa or something, say. Um, and they can then, you know, generate income that way. But there's more, there's more opportunity if taxpayers here in America have businesses that are supplying products to Africa. Absolutely, hundred percent. So, so is it is that why you're saying that? Well, so there is a sincerity, you know, in these loans. There is a sincerity in like, okay, let's actually help these African countries improve because, um, like Biden said. If America, if Africa does well, America does well. Whether or not there's sincerity to that is something that we're going to find out over time. Um, so it's it's a certainly a leap of faith to assume that uh, people are acting um, without their own self-interest at heart. But I do believe that there is, for the regular person, there's a lot of self-interest in having a strong Africa. All right, and then let's just, I, I had asked earlier how outside of, you know, the oil and gas that uh, America is selling to Europe, how is America's military benefiting financially from Ukraine? What is the military industrial comp? How does that actually generate income? So if we're talking about for Ukraine now, on paper, America is not involved in the Ukrainian war on paper. Right. So there's been some leaks that have suggested that there is some presence but it's a proxy not, war though People i'm not in a position to verify that particular information but if you ask the question how to make money on something uh, increasing the demand for anything is going to be beneficial so okay so what you're saying is just so i understand yes oh i get it so biden has announced hundreds of billions like i can't remember how many billions of dollars in loans to ukraine but mm -hmm. what that really looks like is american manufacturing of of um military basically paraphernalia right military mm -hmm. equipment and so the money's staying in america for the most part is that correct. what you're saying correct just the same way that they're we're investing in africa but it's really to make american businesses do well so they so they, they keep most of that money in america these uh, military suppliers in america mm -hmm. then ship it to ukraine ukraine buys it from them and they make money that way is that what you're saying yeah that's, that's one of the ways. I can't speak to every way because that's not my exact industry. So I can't speak with authority on that. But just going off of fundamentals of business, that's fairly accurate. So I think, yeah, I, we, we've, done, we've been speaking for a while. I want to yeah. wrap things up. What are lucrative industries any Nigerian entrepreneur should focus on if um, they want to get this access? Because access to, hap to capital is one of the hardest mm -hmm. things in Nigeria what are industries and I, I believe that it's really development industries that will really give you the most uh right. potential so can you break down for me some some areas that you feel that people should focus on um in nigeria all right, all right. so if, if i was in nigeria right now if this was my point of business 
there, we have we have a shortage of housing in Nigeria. There, there's a major shortage. But the problem with housing, and I just just from my from my research, mm -hmm. is infrastructure. There, there's a problem in infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, so we can't necessarily. So people are 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 pushed in this are crammed in the city because they need to stay close to where the work is. Mm -hmm. And we don't have the you know efficient railroads. I know they just opened a railroad, but we don't have efficient um, infrastructure. So it's hard for we t for us to sort of build like suburbs in the outskirts of a big city. All right, so if I'm gonna speak just to the businessmen right now. So, so it's I not that it's, I think it's infrastructure first before you even tackle housing. So for the overall economy, I would say that you're absolutely right. If we're saying in the short term, what should a Nigerian businessman look at doing is in areas where the infrastructure allows for it, uh, sort of the mid to high end housing is a place where there is a gap in Nigeria. There is, a, there is an income disparity and luxury housing sells quickly in many parts of Nigeria. Uh, just going off of some market stats on that. Um, and logistics is the other big thing. Like if logistics we look at logistics meaning what? So if we look at the fastest growing um, sectors in Nigeria, number two is air transport. Uh, number six is road transport. Number seven is water transport. And water supply, sewage, waste management, and remediation is uh, number eight. So all of these things are <laughs> infrastructure, infrastructure first. <laughs> and if I keep going down here, the next one, sorry, number, sorry, number nine or number eight, number nine would be telecommunications. So before you even get there, let's, let's focus on this infrastructure yep. conversation, right? Because it sounds like that's the big pie. Yes. So if I was going to say, look, um, I want to get this loan. I want to focus on building highways, building roads, building oh, yeah. all these things. That's, that's, I can ask for $200 million, maybe even a billion dollars. If you have the more. Yeah, if you have the experience, if you could put the proposal together, yes, you, you will get that. Because once you've done that, then all these other things that you mentioned can really flourish. You know, that's almost like the second, the second stage, right? Right. And then, yeah, the second stage from that, once, once you have the infrastructure, then, then you get the, kind of like to the second stage as you would put that. And then when you, get to the th when you kind of get down there, you start to have the industries that support industries. So like, for instance, when you have logistics, when you have logistics, you have trucks. When you have trucks, you have truck repair people. When you have truck repair people, you have insurance companies that insure the truck repair people. That's right. When I'm analyzing countries, I'm always looking at where the value is being added, where, inf right. where real infrastructure is happening. Right. So we start at the root, fix the root, which Bingo. is the hardest part. And yeah. then you can then fix everything else. So it's the same thing as power. That's another big one, right? Yep. Focusing on renewable energy, focusing on, you know, oh. even not just renewable, but I know that there's a lot of investment going on in America in terms of renewable. Have you seen what Uganda has been doing? Uganda's just cut, Uganda just cut a deal for a nuclear power plant, a fully modern nuclear power plant that's going to be online uh, early in uh, 2031. So I, I don't know if you made this video, but I think it's interesting how Germany is shutting down their power, nuclear power plants that they're going, you know, mm -hmm. I think 100% renewable. Yep. But you have these African countries still building uh, power plants. Can you talk? Can you speak to that like contrast? Yeah, it, it's a it is a complete dichotomy. So um, Germany is making a bet that the technology is going to develop to the point that by 2035, that they're going to be able to be 100% renewable, which is great in theory because if it's renewable energy, then you're talking about pure energy independence. If you you just build more solar panels, you build more wind turbines, and you basically would have limitless energy. That's the idea. However, it hasn't really shown itself to be efficient enough to fully offload the needs for an entire nation. Now, uh, in Africa, uh, there's Egypt. So South Africa has the only current operation, operational nuclear power plants. 
but Uganda and Egypt both are in the initial phases of constructing them. Uh, with Uganda, the way that their energy infrastructure is set up right now, it's not going to take too many nuclear power plants for them to completely power their country. Uh, the advantage to nuclear power is that it is proven. We don't have to wait for the technology to improve. And then in many African nations, the uranium that's necessary to fuel it is right in the ground there. So Uganda literally has their own power source. Once they have a few nuclear power plants online, they are fully energy independent mm. with regards to electricity. And so how close are they to that? Uh, realistically, if they can, it's going to take four to five nuclear power plants for them to hit to hit that mark, along with using some coal and some renewables. But it's probably going to take until the end of the 2030s for them to be there. But it's uh, but then yes, Uganda will have the same access to uh, electricity, energy as any Western country. Interesting. I mean, Uganda is really setting the stage for the future of Africa, and it's so funny because, well, not funny, but interesting how. I mean, in the 90s, they were a war-torn country. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, but Nigeria's Biafra war was so much further uh, away, um, so much longer ago. And then it's mm -hmm. a question of like, what is the real difference? It's leadership, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's it's a matter of making the right long-term choices. Um, the... Um, president of of uganda has been under a lot of a lot of pressure from the west Museveni, um and he's kind of weathered that and he's taking a big gamble on his country right now what kind of pressure why is the west pressuring him for what uh, the west is west is pressuring him to break off ties with china and russia pressuring him to why what, what is their business china has supported some of this development no yes but that's the exact issue the west doesn't want uh china to have to, a country. to bring people out of poverty uh, yeah well that's uh that is one way to put it but they're not <laughs> because thinking the, about because, because the west is not the, the west does not benefit because when when i see people uh, talking especially around sorry your party the yeah. republican party but i see a lot of people complaining about the belt and road initiative and i'm like they're literally creating middle class and middle class in all these countries what could be so evil about them doing that well, it's it's limiting Western power, number one, and number two. Well, well you, right. and to be, I'm going to be fair on on all sides. Is that you don't know how the relationship is going to develop between the countries in 10, 15, 20 years. When you say the countries, which countries between, between China, Russia, and the various African nations, is it going to continue to be just a business relationship, or are they going to start pushing for Africa to make changes that may not be in their best interest? Well, so here's the thing, though. I believe I believe how you start something is how you finish it, right? Okay. And I look at this, right? How did, how did Europe enter Africa? That was through colonialism. Right. Even before that, no, before colonialism, it was slavery, right? Mm -hmm. Right? It was to put people in real debt traps, to put people in, in serious dependency, and that's what they're perpetuating till this day. How has China entered, or how has China entered not just Africa, all these countries around the world? Through through uplifting their middle class, and I'm not here. Some I'm not ch some Chinese advocate mm -hmm. that's preaching go China right. or whatever. Because I understand that with all things, there's some there's <laughs> there's shades of gray. Right, but just on the surface, it's going to be very very difficult for China to pivot and start sort of pushing a, a new tune. It's just going to be very difficult for them to do that. But America has consistently done that. So when America is like debt trap, debt trap. 
the de- <laughs> it's almost like the biggest debt trap is telling you, oh no, watch out for those debt traps. They're worse, but you're the worst thing. We're already stuck in your debt trap. They're uplifting us and you're telling us that that's evil. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, that's, it's a fair point. As long as the relationship continues to say the same, and again, I, that is an assumption. Right? What is it's, an assumption? That the relationship between China, Russia, and Africa will remain the same. I know you're saying that how you f- start something is how you'll finish it. Well, I'm just it. saying that. I'm saying what I'm really saying is that it can stay the same if you if you sharpen up, just like China did. I suggest every African should read the Hundred Year Marathon and mm-hmm. read other books about Chinese nationalism. Not sort of encouraging that sort of, you know, the national not not Chinese. Not I'm not trying to like encourage that, but just to learn how China lifted itself out out of poverty, just like. Um, um, Uganda that we mentioned, China too was had a famine start you know during Mao Zedong's mm-hmm. time and was like you said was a poor country you know so um, but China somehow figured out how to pull itself out of uh, out of poverty and there are so many lessons that I think Africa can learn so if we use these Chinese opportunities not for our leaders to take the money and funny enough take the money go to the West <laughs> and spend the money here and keep the the rest the uh, West richer. But to actually develop uh, Africa, that's really where the real change is. Because ultimately, you know, I made a documentary a while ago called The Great Divide. And the co-architects of white supremacy are not just, you know, the West or the West political class. But they work hand in hand with Africa's or West Africa's political class. And that system is perpetuated till this day. The political class in Africa are hell-bent on keeping Africa poor, Right? So all these things that we're talking about, to me, is just probably going to go over their head because this is not short-term enough. This is not going to make me richer tomorrow. But the irony is they go back and then they put money into the West. They dump more money in the West, which is crazy. Um, There was this quote that I saw on on social media. It said, "Um, Nigerian politicians run to the West to get treated by Nigerian doctors who ran away (laughs) <laughs> from Nigeria <laughs> because of their poor governance, right? So yeah, there's accountability. But I guess so when we when we go back, you know, to China, um, I don't know what you said there, but I'm just my question is like, how bad can it really get? We've already experienced what looks like the worst, right? I mean, things of course can, from a business standpoint, yes, things can get bad if. If a relationship deteriorates with any country, and that's why, that's why I would believe that Africa should focus more on their own personal independence. If they need to get a jump start by doing some deals today, that's fine. But economically, they need to be self-sufficient as quickly as possible. Because if you're just relying on one country or another, was it um, Thomas Sankara says, whoever feeds you is the person who controls you. Right. And so if China is feeding you, they're going to control you. If Russia feeds you, they're going to control you. If America feeds you, they're going to control you. So, I mean, I'm just, but we're looking at Uganda. Is, is China really feeding Uganda? They're providing uh, infrastructure that they otherwise would not have. So, yes, they are feeding, in my opinion, they are feeding Uganda. They but haven't it, made, is, is Uganda making the right economic decisions to have sustainable uh, growth? It depends on what their next move is. If right. they do, if they do some deals for infrastructure, particularly with nuclear technology, which would be very difficult to just develop from scratch, so they do need to have a China or a Russia 
uh, to practically get that done in time. But if the next move is, okay, so we have this infrastructure, are we going to go and now build on that success? Are we going to build a manufacturing base? Are we going to value add and not allow our raw resources to just be exported? If they make that move, then they'll be able to be completely independent. Um, if they then, but if they don't do that, if they say, hey, well, instead of selling natural resources to the West, we'll sell it to China or we'll sell it to Russia, then very quickly they just have another master, just albeit maybe more benevolent at that point. So it depends on what the next move is. So I, it's I, all in the devil is in the details in yes. terms of the economics. Correct. So what is Nigeria's move to, to, to this independence? So we started talking about we're breaking stuff down. We said infrastructure. Mm -hmm. We said elect um, electricity. Yep. What else? What are, what, are you, what are you saying? Energy, infrastructure, um, I, I'd say being working harder to retain talent in the country is going to be like the real big thing that Nigeria is going to have to do. You're you That's know, a you're chicken and egg situation, right? You it, have it's to, really, you it's have really to hard, fix. but there's a, there's a tipping point, I think. I believe that there is a point, because right now wages are higher in the West than they reasonably would be in Nigeria for almost any profession. So the tipping point really happens is when the ability to make money in business for the top talent in Nigeria is greater than for them to have a regular job in Europe or in America. So when they and when that happens, one entrepreneur is going to create jobs for 20 people and those 20 people just service them. They're going to probably take make 100 jobs. So it's about bringing the entrepreneurs, the highest talent back. So pay your staff more. Like we're talking to entrepreneurs right now. Pay mm -hmm. your staff more as much as you can. I agree. And don't abuse the system that allows you to, 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 you know, pay them low and you keep all the money because when you pay your staff more, they can pay more people. And it's a trickle mm -hmm. effect. Like it's just it's, a waterfall, right? We go back to the early day, early days of the uh, 20th century in America. One of the ways Henry Ford was able to become one of the better manufacturers was that he brought his wages up, some by some reports, two times as high as prevailing wage, which gave him all of the best workers, gave him zero turnover, and he had lines of people looking to work for him. So in the same sense, uh, I would say for Nigerian companies, you know, pay a premium for talent because paying a premium for talent tends to pay off. All right. Um, is there anything else that you have in those notes that you think that is worthy of mentioning? Well, right now, I just, I'm very optimistic long term. I know that right now Nigeria is in a bit of uh, a quandary with what's happened with their currency. Uh, when I've looked over Nigeria, because even though I do most of my work in Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana, um, the market fundamentals, so the talent pool is very good in Nigeria. The access to natural resources is very good. It's centrally located. It's I think it's going to be an incredible economy in the next 10 to 15 years. So I would say if you're a businessman there, I would say this is the time to really kind of dig in your heels, expand your operations, uh, because when Nigeria starts to take off, uh, you know, all this, all this spaces and business may already be taken. And so it'd be better to kind of get in at the ground floor right now. So, and of course, I, I hope to be in Nigeria this year and uh, love the people. I'm fortunate to actually work with them in my personal life. And I really look forward to uh, looking forward to see you guys in Nigeria. All right, Brad, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's all for today's episode of Business in Nigeria. We hope you found it informative and helpful. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us on our website or our, our socials. And 
Also check out our online course, Business in Nigeria. You're gonna get all the details, all the juicy details about how to apply to some of these US China grants and loans. You wanna know how to get access to that money, the billions and billions of dollars that have been promised to Africa. Well, <laughs> go get that course. Also in the course, you're gonna get some inside details. We have a lot of documentaries on the course that break down, you know, the Nigerian landscape. So maybe you, you maybe you want to understand a specific Indian industry in Nigeria and how it works. And of course, we're always growing. We're always putting more and more information. So I love to get more comments from you guys. Leave a comment down below. Let us know who you want us to interview, what you want us to cover, especially even in the course. What uh, subject matters? What businesses do you want us to cover? let us know this is an interactive show and i want to make sure i provide you guys with all your needs that you know is plausible <laughs> so leave a comment down below tell me what you want so that i can provide it the best way that i'm able to so don't forget to subscribe to this channel to this youtube channel or if you're listening to us on a podcast platform guys subscribe like this video leave a review let people know that this is the hottest show right now about business in Nigeria. We're giving you valuable insights, tips about starting and growing your Nigerian business. So guys, until next time, stay motivated, stay informed, and keep pursuing your entrepreneurial dreams. Peace. Well, that's all for today's episode of Business in Nigeria. We hope you found it informative and helpful. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us on our website and our socials. And make sure you check out our course, Business in Nigeria, at streamovg.com slash business in Nigeria. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, subscribe to all our socials, all of that, for more insights and tips on starting and growing your Nigerian business. Until next time, stay motivated. Stay informed and keep pursuing your entrepreneurial dreams.